Welcome to the Transit Lounge. I'm your host, Chandra. As a recovering workaholic, I want to explore how you can do more of what you love without burning out. I'm on a mission to promote true well-being, the contented state of being happy, healthy, and prosperous. Through interviews with savvy entrepreneurs, authors, and industry experts, we'll share insights, inspiration, and practical tips on how you can be CEO you in the business of your life. Let's go. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Transit Lounge podcast. My name is Chandra, I'm your host, and I would like to say a big hello and welcome to you. Thank you for listening today. Today we are diving into another of our interview episodes and I am excited to get into this interview because I don't actually know a lot about uh, our lovely guest's story, although I know um, about what she used to do or the product that she used to um, be very much involved with. So I'm excited about hearing uh, her her story. Uh, So I would like to say hello to you, lovely Michelle Vogrinek. Did I you did, Chandra. Oh. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Such a great opportunity to chat. Well, I'm looking forward to, to speaking with you. And I think that your experience of what I know, just surface level of the, the journey and the transition, I think you will have some really great insights that are going to be invaluable for anyone listening who perhaps is thinking about making this sort of significant career move and into working for themselves uh, and to to get some insights from someone um, on the other side. So I'm looking forward to diving into your your story. Thank you. Yeah, it'll be really interesting. I I think this is an interesting topic. Um, So I'm I'm really uh, happy to be able to talk about it with you. Yeah, great. And look, as you've just mentioned, you know, the topic, this is really, I guess, designed to provide lots and lots of stories and examples of different women who've made the choice to um, make a significant career change to start their own business after the age of 40. And the reason I started this as the theme and and focus for the majority of my podcast uh, episodes this year is because I kept hearing from so many women that there was a business idea they had but they felt like they'd left it too late. And so they were staying stuck in either a corporate role or some kind of work situation that really wasn't fulfilling them because they were telling themselves that it was all too late and, you know, that it wasn't for them. And so I just thought, you know what, bollocks to that. Uh, I'm going to share lots of stories of um, different women that have done it so that, you know, there's evidence out there because I think the more stories we hear and share, the more it becomes possible in our own minds. So that's really what we're um, about with this podcast um, series of interviews. So uh, thank you for being part of it, Michelle. What about if we uh, dive in with you just setting up, what is it that you used to do for work and what is it that you do now? I previously was the co-founder of Gaia Natural Baby Skincare. So spent 17 years uh, creating this amazing Australian brand yeah. and we sold that business last year so in 2019 and no wait yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> this year feels like it's been 14 years so it's understandable it might feel weird I know it does doesn't it it's a bit of a crazy one this year that's okay there's been a lot of opportunity coming out of this year as well I think so yeah um, and now I'm currently business strategy coaching so helping women and mums in business particularly um, structure their their business and mum life and it doesn't necessarily be a mum but most of my clients are mum to be able to enjoy the journey they're on and, and achieve accomplishments and feel great about what they're doing. Fantastic I'm so excited to hear about you know what you're doing now and the types of clients that you're working with but before we get into that I want to just sort of go back in time a little bit to find out about how you got into creating Gaia and you know working and building that business up for 17 years I don't even have a baby however I know the brand so you know it really is as you said a, a, a fantastic Australian brand but how did that start for you how did you get into that my husband and I were um, sales agents at the time and I just had my first child 
and he had a skin problem and we just didn't have a lot of options and I wasn't happy with what the doctors were telling me. So they were saying, let's put cortisone on his skin. Mm. We lived a, a natural and organic lifestyle and so it wasn't really acceptable for me. And I, I'm that why person. I'm the person <laughs> that used to stick their hand up and go, but why does that happen? And the teacher would be like, Michelle, don't worry. Just <laughs> get on with it. And I'm like, no, 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 I need to know. And so I set on this little research project and started creating um, some herbal baths for my son and and they started to work on his skin. So we just kind of progressed and I was pregnant at the time and thought, you know, I'm going to take on the world and as you do. <laughs> and this was going to be a part-time business that I was going to work around my children and yeah. never stayed that way. It just turned into this amazingly um, massive business. So it, it took 17 years for that overnight success that people sometimes say. <laughs> yes. And, but to get to that point. And we sold the business um, after that time. I think it was time for the baby to grow up and go to, you know, greener pastures and people to give it different love and different insights and and different knowledge and experience to what we had. And, and it was tiring. I'd been doing it for a long time. So mm. um, there were a lot of ups and downs and it was it was time for me to, to move on. Yeah, awesome. I love hearing stories like that of, you know, firstly, I can really uh, picture you as this totally inquisitive child of just like, but why? And what about this? And and the poor, you know, frustrated teachers just thinking this is an endless list of questions from Michelle. So I, I can really relate to that sense of curiosity. But something I am actually curious about is when you started tinkering and, you know, mixing up these little concoctions, was your husband like really comfortable and open to you just saying, here, let me put this stuff on you? Or how did that go? Oh, he was okay with it. He'd come home though from work. So he would be out on the road um, as a sales agent and he would come home from work and I'd be dabbling in the kitchen. And instead of smelling a roast, he would smell lavender and he's like, <laughs> what the hell's going on? And I said, we just need takeaways. <laughs> but once he saw the results, and, and he was quite open to it, actually. He was he was quite happy. He did think I was a little crazy. But um, once he saw that this was actually starting to work on Josh's skin and when he saw other people asking about it, oh, my, my sister's um, baby's got eczema. My child's got eczema. Everybody had eczema. Like someone knew someone with eczema. He started to see that response. He then said, yeah, this might have some wheels. When I said, oh. I want to do this. <laughs> and um, we went from there. Wow. And as you said, this this little side tinkering part-time business that you were going to create around, you know, looking after your family and babies um, didn't stay that way, didn't quite follow the brochure, as often happens in business. Um, and so, you know, 17 years of, of what I'm sure is a lot of love and effort and energy and time and money and all of those things uh, I'm sure have, have gone into building that brand up and, and having it be such a well-loved and recognised um, brand. And I, I really think that's something that – do you feel proud of what you were able to achieve with the brand? Oh, absolutely. And it wasn't until we sold the business and I stepped away that I realised what we'd created. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds really strange, but I, I – I was immersed in it and I was there to support mums in business, not only with our products, but in general, mums in business have a quite a hard time. I think women in business have quite a hard time. Like there were so many challenges, there were failures, there were successes, and there were really heartwarming moments and very, very proud of of the work that was done, not only by myself, but we had a whole team that that contributed. But but you know, it was it was amazing to sit back and most people know the brand and yeah. and to sort of be somewhere and someone will say to you, What do you do? Oh, I do this. Oh, okay. Oh my gosh, you were the guy lady. And <laughs> Yeah, 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 I was. And it's it's kind of a, a quite a surreal feeling, but but very proud of of the brand we created and and um yeah, it's really nice to look back and know that you've made change to a lot of people's lives and um, that you've been able to serve people and help them. Yes. Yeah, and creating something that didn't exist before that really helped solve a problem that was very real for a lot of people. So, you know, you do have a lot to be proud of. Yeah, and 
it, we weren't the only skincare company on the market and it fascinated me when people would say, you know, competitors would particularly would say, you know, why, we're the only one, they've copied us. It's like, but everybody has different skin and everybody responds differently. So there's a market there for a multitude of different products to come out. Um, we just took the people along a story, a journey with us of, mm-hmm. of what we were doing and how we were going about it. And we made our skincare for skin, not for marketing. So it worked. Like yeah. It, that was, I think, one of the differences is we weren't there because we were trying to make money. We were there because um, it was it was something that was needed and it was it was um, making a difference to a lot of people. Yeah, fantastic. So good. And so then, as you said, uh, 17 years um, down the track of this nice little side small business that was not a side small business at all, uh, you got to the point of uh, recognising it was time for you to move on and for the brand potentially to move into different hands and to continue to go down its path. Was there something in particular that was a catalyst for you to make that change or do you feel like it was one of those things that it was just time? How how did that process um, come about for you to, I guess, close that chapter? I really learned the hard way that looking after yourself mentally and physically was something that was imperative, I think in life, but particularly if you're in business as well. And I ended up with an adrenal fatigue and and adrenal crash. So I got quite unwell mentally and physically along the way. And it took me the best part of 10 years to get back on track and trying to juggle all of that, plus have three children, plus try to be a wife, a mum, plus, 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 all of those yeah. things in there and the size that the business was growing to and the demands created from the retail industry over the last five years have really changed. So, you know, we hadn't had a price rise for 10 years and all those sorts of things that we were just in this space that was it was very, very hard to deal with and mm. I just wanted the the stress to be relieved. And we had, um, we had a lot of competitive activity that was constantly attacking us. So, we had trademark battles that were legal. There were so many things, and I just felt like I was battling a lot of things rather than giving what I could to to the brand and to the people. And I hit a point where I just didn't want to battle those anymore. I was sick of fighting, sick of yeah. fighting competitors, and they were nasty. Um, there were a lot of legal battles in there, and I just didn't want to continue. I didn't want to fight. I wanted to yeah. enjoy what I did, and, and yes. what I was doing was fighting. So. We made the choice that it was time for us to move on and, and yeah, and I, I needed to recover and I think that that's something that we as women, we take that on so so seriously and we don't spend time looking after ourselves and, and I think self-care is not a selfish thing. It's really important for women to understand that they need to be, to function the best that they can be. We have hormone systems that go crazy. Um, we also, we need to take that time to do the things that, that matter, that, that keep your cup full so that you can then give to others or you can do what it is that you want to do. I can really relate around the the um, importance of looking after your own well-being, uh, having also, you know, through my corporate or my employed career, getting to a point of being sick all the time and getting a diagnosis of, of um, severe adrenal fatigue. And I, I feel like Unfortunately, it's becoming more and more common that we as women who perhaps are high achieving women, want to be passionate about what we do with our lives and our work, can just keep pushing and pushing with all those different hats that we wear. And it can get to a point where our bodies give that feedback of going, all right, enough, enough. Um, So I really um, can uh, empathise with you around that that feeling of just you know exhaustion of pushing so hard and and when you're in a, a work role where it's less about you doing what you're there to do and to enjoy that and more about you know defending and fighting battles that is also incredibly exhausting so you know I can totally understand it getting to that point of you kind of going actually is this what I want for my life and for my work and if the answer is no then maybe it's time to start to look for something different so yeah mm, definitely I definitely agree with you there it's yeah yep so with that I guess um, realization for yourself at that point, did you already have any ideas of what you were going to do next? That you had you already sort of thought about 
the consulting and coaching um, avenue or did you have other thoughts? Did you know what you were going to go to do or was it just focused on wrapping up the, the business and the sale? This is a really interesting question because I <laughs> did not think about coaching at all. Uh-huh. And I was, so I'd spent the last two to three years of our business, I'd stepped back from the business knowing that we were going down that path. So we were trying to put people in place to support and go forward. And I'd stepped back and started working on shoe design because I love shoes and I am a creative person. So I started designing shoes. So I'd spent about three oh. years of my shoe design stuff and thought, wow, this is going to be awesome and I've got all the sampling done and I'm really excited about it. And then once we sold, I seriously felt like I'd woken up and, you know, I was driving in the car. I remember driving in the car thinking, what am I going to do? Uh, I had this idea with the shoes and then I'm driving along and realising that when I drove during the business, when I was immersed in it, I wasn't actually mindful of driving. I'm amazed I didn't have an accident. Mm -hmm. And we're driving along and our mind is so consumed with, I've got to make lunch, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. And I realised when I was driving, oh, wow, I've not seen that tree before. Oh, there's that over there. And I started to become quite mindful of the the surroundings that I had that I'd never noticed before. It, It surprised me. The driving things surprised me most because it's I wonder how many people drive around unconsciously. Oh, most people. Don't have accidents. Um, But then I I realised that I was not ready to jump back into the frying pan of a big business. And I don't do things by halves. When I do things, I really like to put my heart and soul into them. So if I was going to do the shoe thing, I thought this is going to be big. And I, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to jump into that. So I wanted to spend time with my family and settle my family down. It was a massive change for our family to go through. Yeah. So I, I took some time out and then I started getting phone calls from people saying, hey, can I pick your brain? And oh, and, yeah. at, and at that point I'm thinking I have no idea what life after Gaia looks like anymore. Yeah. I just, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and that was quite big actually, not knowing what I was going to do. But then when yeah. people started to call and I realised that I had quite a lot of information in my head and people were sort of saying to me, you should do this for a living. Oh, hadn't thought of that. Um, and then I sort of start, so I put together some some very basic packages and I've you know and and started sort of talking to people and I have you know got a handful of clients and and now going down a path of going this is actually working and I found that little spark inside me when I got an email from a client that said thank you so so much for the guidance and advice you've provided I'm now in such a better position. And that yeah. little spark made me go, yeah, that's what I love what I do. And that's why it's so important to love what you do. Yeah. And so this has now led me down this amazing journey of working with some amazing people. And now I'm setting up a plan for the future. So, yeah, fantastic. And isn't it so interesting when, you know, you can uh, look back and sort of say, well, you know, this does make sense when you have got, I guess, the, the beauty of hindsight, but you it's not necessarily as obvious when you're trying to look forward especially when you've been immersed in one kind of um, identity from a work-life perspective for so long to as you said life after Gaia what does that look like we often just put a lot of pressure on ourselves to expect that we've got to already have all the answers we've got to know what's next but I'm a big believer that we do need to have you know some time of processing and potentially grieving the part of our life that's kind of closed in some ways and for you I can imagine because it was very much a family business it almost would be like you know there's a a family member that's no longer there and it would feel quite odd for a while so you know and even the fact that you um, had this other passion and interest around the shoe design I think sometimes again people can just feel like well I've got to latch onto that thing mm. but I think it's so great that you were mindful enough to recognize that hey actually maybe I'm not ready to to throw myself full throttle into um, creating and building a whole new uh, product brand uh, and that then you know life the universe whatever energy you want to call it you know through you these other uh, ideas through people wanting to call you so I think it's really great that you got to that point and so 
that's quite a different business from Gaia. What are some of the things that, as you think about what you've experienced so far in this transition, because it's still relatively new, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely really, really new. Um, I'm learning, and I love that part of it, is that I'm actually learning from my clients. And as somebody that is a little bit of a sponge, learning um, from them is amazing. I love that part too. Yeah, awesome. So, so when you think about this sort of transition and into starting up this more consulting coaching style of business, what have been some of the challenges that you feel like you have faced in making that, that start? My worth, actually, is probably mm. the biggest challenge that I've faced is knowing how much I'm worth. And my self-worth, I think so many things come back to self-worth. And yeah. if you don't have self-worth, then a lot of things fall, fall along the wayside and it affects how we communicate, it affects how we see other people, it affects our perception, it affects how we feel about ourselves. And ultimately... If we don't feel great about ourselves, how on earth can we project that forward? And I think that's one of the biggest challenges I have faced is is losing that Gaia identity um, and becoming my own identity because I was known as the Gaia lady. So sort of finding myself in that mix has been really interesting. And the things that I thought, well, well oh, I'm just that sort of person or I'm only that was mm-hmm. other people saying to me, oh, my gosh, how can you say that? And I'm like, <laughs> Okay, so sort of realising my self-worth is something that I'm still working on um, a lot, but it is a priority mm-hmm. to work on. Um, and pricing, it's a, it's, a, it's not a product, it's not a tangible product that you can go, here you go, it looks like this, it feels like this, it smells amazing, mm-hmm. this is what the product is, off you go. Like there's so many variables here and working out who it is I want to work with um, rather than just taking on any person that needs sort of support and and realising the type of person I want to work with. And so there's those challenges. Where to start? I'm like, I haven't done this for 17 years. Holy cow. There's so many places to start. And there's so much information. So I'm having a bit of information overload at the moment. Um, yes. But, do you know, and so I've gone back to basics and I've taken it back. And I think that's really important. We, You know, having a, a very, very stimulated brain that likes to learn trying to go back to basics and go, what is it that I'm trying to achieve? And working back on now going, what is my purpose? My purpose is to have a positive impact on people's lives, whether it be through product or service. That's what I'd like. That's my purpose. Mm -hmm. And now how do I? So holding myself back and taking the steps slowly, and it is a big challenge too because I'm used to running at 100 miles an hour. Yeah, so taking that step back and, and saying that it's okay to work the hours I want to work per week, I don't have to work 60 hours a week, and packaging it all up. I, it's a service. I don't know how to do it. <laughs> yeah. so they're the challenges that I'm facing at the moment. And I did have a business coach throughout entire time with 17 years of Gaia, the same person actually. Wow. So, you know, knowing that, Michelle, you know that that you that was very, very key for you in success and, and helping you navigate. So this is definitely a, a wanted service, you know, so that self-doubt comes in again. Yeah. And, look, firstly, thank you for sharing so openly about, you know, some of this uh, inner narrative that has been um, coming up for you because I think that, again, some of what you shared is very, very common. I am, uh, I think now, you know, 30-something interviews into this series and the self-worth question is definitely a common theme, not for everybody but for a lot of Mm. women. And then that leads very quickly into the pricing question. What can Mm. I charge particularly when it is it's their own expertise, it's their own service, and those questions of self-worth and doubt uh, are key players in that move to uh, charging for what you're providing. And so it can be a bit of a shock to people um, to realise how much impact that internal voice has and also the piece around the identity and the label that you have attached to through your career and I've talked about this a couple of times in in some of the interviews where um, human beings have seven different types of beliefs 
And one of the types is identity beliefs. And that's any way that we answer or finish the sentence I or I am or I have, I can, I can't, etc. Any way you finish that sentence is you communicating and labelling how you see yourself. But another type of belief that we have uh, is called a vehicle beliefs. And that's any way that you express who you are or share who you are and interact in the world. So often that is through hobbies and uh, activities that we're involved in or groups that we're involved in and our work is one of those vehicles but what can happen is that when we are really passionate about our work and we do it well and we do it for quite a long time we can overlap our vehicle belief with our identity belief and that's where midlife crisis can kick in if that vehicle changes or goes away where you start to literally say, who am I without Gaia? And it can be very tricky for us to answer that question. For me, it was not Gaia, obviously. It was I worked at Nova, the radio station. And even when I started imagining not re-signing a contract and leaving that, that brought up so many uh, you know, fears around, well, who will I be and what will other people think and all of those kinds of things. So, again, I want to share that because it's really common that people put a label on themselves based on the role that they have or the industry they work in and somehow they, uh, when they consider losing that, it's very, very unsettling. And so it's, it's worth investigating those things of, well, who am I separate to the job function that I have had and reminding yourself of who you are that is very different from just the job that you have, which is one way of expressing yourself. I did um, acknowledge that when we were when we knew that we were going to sell and I took the time to prepare myself a little bit in some capacities for that. So I, I went off to a surf retreat in um, Byron Bay. Oh, nice. Because <laughs> you can't, I had to let go. There was something I had to let go of the baby that 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 was my it was like my my fifth child my fourth child was my husband um, my <laughs> fifth child and I had to let go of it and um, I went to Byron Bay and and I learned to surf I spent three days learning to surf and wow it was amazing because you can't fight the water and you have to let go to surf and that was my way of letting go of of the baby that we created so. I did kind of take a little bit of time to do that, but it wasn't until I was standing there, you know, naked in Burke Street really, <laughs> going, wow, I'm now, who am I and, and what is it that I have to offer? And, and even, you know, you don't even take the time to sort of work out who you are for you. You're already mm. thinking about what is it I'm offering others rather than yeah. taking the time to understand who you are um, innately for yourself. Yes, and this is why it's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about this project, this podcast project and the work that I do and wanting to share these stories so that, you know, women can be more prepared for the potential of these kinds of challenges coming up because they're not necessarily the challenges that we first think of. Um, but they're very real. So thank you so much for, for sharing those insights. And I love the fact that you did the, the surf retreat. That sounds like a really great kind of transitional activity. <laughs> it was great. There I am. What what was I? I think I was like 45 or 43 or something. Here I am on a surfboard. Didn't belong yeah. really in the, in the sea with the other surfers. But um, thought, yeah, this is the, how I'm going to do it. And I'm doing it. It was really, really cool. But you touched on something that I found really interesting is that mums, when, when women become mums, they lose their identity anyway. Yeah. And they go through a very big transition, which is not um, something they think about. And I know so many mums that say, after the baby's born, I will. And there's all this this belief in going back to who you are, but you'll never go back to who you were. Mm. So for mums in business, they go through this transition when they become a mum. Then they have this amazing business idea, which is usually born out of necessity for their child. And then they go on to this amazing business and then suddenly – they, they, you can't, and I did the same thing. I asked myself, who the hell am I? Like, yeah, my identity gone? What do I like? What do I don't like? It, it's a very big thing. Yes, and how many layers are there of, oh. 
of all those different labels that we put on. So, you know, this is like uh, uh, your life's work is like peeling back all the layers of labels that you put on that aren't you <laughs> to try and remind yourself who you are or rediscover who you are now. Um, and that's, I, I think, one of the things that I'm excited about with the work that you're doing. You said that, you know, a lot of the clients that you work with are mums, not all of them necessarily, but a lot of them are because I do uh, appreciate that there is a whole bucket of different challenges that women who are mothers and wanting to be business owners that uniquely they they have as as challenges and so I think it's really great that you can bring so much learned experience into the work that you're now doing helping um, those women navigate and find their way through all of those challenges um, one of the other things that I like to ask in these interviews, because it can be a significant factor for, for women making a decision of, of creating a change and starting a business later in life, is around the financial side of things. And knowing that the financial side is a significant factor in whether people decide to make a move, when they make the move, how they make the move. For you, you had the sale of a business, but what if any part did considerations around the financial side of things play in your decision of what you were going to do and how what sort of time frame you might work to um i was fortunate enough to be able to say i'm going to take x amount of time off yeah right i'm not going to rush back into anything and i was fortunate enough to be in financially stable position and i don't think a lot of women are in that position and but mm -hmm. strive to be there and financially when you seek financial freedom or financial stability or whatever you want to call it women tend to feel a bit guilty about wanting that yeah and it's one of those things and I've said about actually I actually have a finance coach um, that is our helping me now lay out what my future looks like financially getting in place my goals my yeah business things I'm back on a budget I'm back on all of those things um to then map out the, the the financial future and it's something that I'm doing on a shoestring again I'm not going out there and, and massively spending money on this on that and sort of having a look at it and saying what is it that I want to dedicate to this and I'm I'm actually going through this part of it right now so I'm actually now sitting down going what is it and how is it that I can that I can structure what I'm going to do going forward and and how much is it going to cost in these areas and setting myself um, targets again once I hit this then I'll go down this path and once I do this so I, I think that's a it's a it's a very big question actually yes uh, and it's a big question for women mm. they do feel guilty about about money yeah and I think uh, that's this is another area that I'm very passionate about because of the influence that I see that it does have on the decisions that women make, particularly around doing work that they love. And, and so I do quite a lot of work with women around their relationship and results with money. And there's a, there's a, a whole piece that I think as women, we don't tend to explore. I'm hoping that it's changing with the, a younger generation, but I'm not sure uh, if it will change as fast as I might want it to. But often women were brought up where it, it, we weren't taught properly about money and we, you know, were indoctrinated to believe that talking about money is rude or that, you know, rich people have certain characteristics that are not desirable or whatever. And there's a whole unconscious story that, that often we are raised with that can get in the way when we start our own business in terms of asking for the, the sort of rates that we're worth following through, being ordered and organised with money, that often it can be an area, and a lot of the clients that I work with will admit, they say, I just don't even want to look at the numbers. I just hope that there's going to be enough in the bank account <laughs> to pay the bills. And I think that there's a different kind of stepping up around your financial life and financial relationship when you become a business owner. And so I think it's one that I, again, I like to ask the question, even though it is deemed often a very personal question, because again, I think contributing to the conversation of women realising, oh, maybe I do need to think about targets, or maybe I do need to set myself a budget of, of you know, uh, how, how much am I prepared to invest in this? 
and what are the markers that I'm heading for and to start to think like a business owner, which includes thinking about the financial side. So, you know, it is. And it also then, you know, comes down to things like pricing and um, margins and all that kind of thing. So it's not just the one-off, can I afford to leave my job or or sell my business to start something new? It shows up in many aspects of our um, life in a business. So it's really an ongoing piece of work, I think, for us to, to continue with. Most of my clients are actually asked this question. This is one of the most common questions I get asked. It's actually one of the first questions I ask them, actually, because I say to them, do you know your numbers? And they're like, yeah. what do you mean? And I'm like, do you know what your net profit is that you want to achieve? Do you know what you want to aim for in personally, what you want to take out of it, what you want to live on, what you want? Mm-hmm. Do you know your numbers? And they don't know. There's a there's another there's another space where I'm saying to them, well, if you want to go over here or you want to do this, you need to understand your numbers. And you're telling me, hey, I just want to go and buy this. Yeah. Like, well, stop. Do you know what your numbers are? If you have no idea where your profit is, where your break-even points are, what your you know, all those things, your margins, your markups, and if it, if you don't know any of that, don't just rely on your accountant to just mm-hmm. give you a file that says here you go and we wouldn't be in the position we are today if we did that so yeah we my husband fortunately was finance uh, mentally he's just geared that way mm-hmm. and I'm not so I've learned along the course of time and and having a finance coach now saying to me and the first thing we started working on was our mindset yeah he said to me we're going to talk differently about money I want you to think about what you grew up with exactly what you were saying before I, I was like totally there when you said what you grew up with and what you grew up being told about money and I want you to reframe it so we've reframed a lot of those um thoughts that I had around it and now I'm open to the fact that it's okay to make money. It's okay to want to make money. And yeah. it's okay to want to live comfortably and happily. Yes. So uh, when my clients are saying to me, but I don't know what that is. And I and they're very frustrated, I have to tell you, when I say, well, we're going to do this exercise. <laughs> I want you to go back to your accountant and ask him what the dollars and cents are. They're looking at me like, I don't want to do that. I'm like, yeah. If you want financial freedom over here and you're telling me you want to get to a point where you're spending time with your children, why are you in business? Yeah. I want more time with my kids. Well, how's that working out? Um, <laughs> so if you want this, you have to know that. Yeah. You really can't do one without the other. So yeah. it's a really big topic and it's another one of those things that women in business or, and in my perspective, mums in business aren't aware of. Yes, and it's so good that you are giving a bit of that tough love because I think it's really important uh, and you can't have one without the other. Uh, but also I think that that knowledge and information is powerful and it allows you to make more informed decisions when you know rather than you just hope or you guess or you just wait for your accountant to say, yeah, you're all good. And that's all you feel like you need to know. So there is a whole piece around that that I think um, you and I will continue to keep chipping away at with uh, helping women to get a little bit more positive and empowered and, and informed about their their financial side of things. Well, they, um, are, they say to me, you know, what do you think about this idea? I go, what are the numbers? And they're looking yeah. at me like, I don't know. And I go, I can't give you an answer. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're like, Michelle. Your question, I don't have the information. Yeah. Michelle, I don't want to talk about the numbers. I just want to come up with a really cool social media campaign and, and what will we do with this cute logo and all of that? It's like, okay, they're, they're things and elements in business, but if you don't know the numbers, none of that rest of that stuff really matters. And I was that person. I was the person that said, oh, my gosh, we've got this amazing opportunity. And and that's one of my learned experiences that um, you just can't do that. You, you know, if... And again, we wouldn't have got to where we got to and be in the position I'm in in now to be able to make choices and have the freedom to choose Yeah. without knowing my numbers. Yes. And that's the thing of realising that it is a process to get and to create that level of financial security and then onto financial freedom um, that takes a little bit of discipline and savvy, but it's so worth it. So yeah, it's it's a keep fighting the good fight on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so Michelle, with the work that you're doing now, if someone's listening and perhaps they're thinking, hey, I'd love to find out more about Michelle and, and maybe connect with you and, and to find out more about what you do, where can they find out more about you or, or connect with you? Um, 
I'm in the process of working on that. Okay, great. <laughs> so far I've worked off referral and yep. I haven't actually set up a lot of information, but I am in the process of setting up michellevogrenick.com and I've got an Instagram page. If you just Google Michelle Vogrenick, um, you'll find me. Um, and there is a Facebook page that I don't do much on, so I'm not a very good advocate for branding at the moment. <laughs> but that's something that I am now in the process of working on. But otherwise, you can email me on michelle.vogrenick at iCloud.com. Awesome. And I'll make sure to include links to those various uh, channels uh, mm-hmm. in the show notes so that people can easily just sort of scroll down and find them and, and click on them and, uh, and find you that way as you continue to build that um, <laughs> online presence. But look, the thing is, Michelle, you're you're well and truly you're in your first year of this new business. Mm. And so it is, in my opinion, totally fine for you to not have a website necessarily up and running and fabulously finished yet. And I love the fact that you're just, you're getting in, you're working with clients. As you said, you're learning from your clients and you'll be learning lots of things, I imagine. Things like, you know, what is it that clients actually need from me? What is it that clients want? Because they're not necessarily the same thing. And what is it that I want to do? What's the overlap between those? Who are the clients that I really feel like I'm best equipped to serve? What's the packages and programs that I'm going to provide? This is a a huge learning curve. And so what you're doing and just working through referrals and getting your first clients is going to be fabulous because they're going to give you all that knowledge and experience. They'll also give you testimonials, which is further social proof about this new venture that you're in. And so all of what you're doing is completely right. And you just keep chipping away and ticking these things off that foundational kind of first year in business um, checklist, if you like. So, you know, I think it's great that that's the the approach that you've taken, because sometimes people um, take the approach of the perfectionist road of thinking, all right, until I've got my website, until I've got a beautiful, perfect looking Instagram uh, profile, until I've got all my branding figured out and I've got business cards printed and all that kind of stuff, I'm not going to go out there and do anything. And I think that's a backwards approach because so much will change over your first couple of years as you keep refining what you're offering and who you're working with. And so I'd much rather see people just get started and start simple, refine as you go, get fancy later, as they say. So, you know, I think it's really great that you've taken that more more um, hands-on approach. And I want to take my clients on a journey. So when I understand them if they if if I want to relate to them and I want them to feel connected to me then I need to show them that I'm too am on a journey Mm -hmm. and I too are going down this path so I'm taking them on that journey with me and saying well I don't have this ready but I'm working on that and if I want them to be better then I I need to be better so I need to show growth as well so Mm. I'm kind of in that space and I know from making baby skincare and bringing out this product the first packaging we bought out was terrible And 12 months later, we revamped it all. So yep. I've got a start of what I'm going out with and it will it will evolve. And and I'm actually happy to to watch it evolve. And my goal in life is actually the journey now, not, not an end destination. I have no idea where that destination is. It's the journey. So that journey for me is exploring this side of things. Yeah, fantastic. I love it. I love it. I think I can't remember who said it, but some super successful entrepreneur business type said something like, if you're not embarrassed by your first kind of offering of something, (laughs) you've waited way too long to launch. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that sometimes it's uncomfortable and you don't necessarily want it to be something that's so dodgy, it's a bit damaging to the brand, but I think we can obsess and hide behind trying to make things perfect, whereas I think accepting that it is going to be a process, it is going to evolve, it is going to be a journey, and that's just how you roll. I think the sooner you can just sort of get started, the better. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So, Michelle, just as we finish up, any final thoughts or tips for perhaps someone that's listening who maybe has got this business idea and they've thought about it for a little while, but they're not really sure either exactly where to start or whether it's possible for them? Do you have any other thoughts or tips that you think could be useful for them? I think if you've got an idea, it's only an idea until you actually do something with it. And if you want to actually do something with it, then take the time to to research the either the area, the industry or whatever it is that you want to do and actually then just gather the basics that you need. 
jump in. You know, mm. waiting for the ideal time will never happen. Nothing is, you know, there's never an ideal time. And you kind of got to go with, I roll with my gut. I'm very much a gut instinct person. So I kind of roll on that tangent and, and takes, you know, get people around you that know more than you. Yeah. Take from those people, learn from those people, ask questions, um, join places where you can ask questions and, and perfect imperfection is the thing for me is just, do what you do. You know, you, if you're going to wait till you do one task perfectly during the day, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in getting five tasks done and feeling success in that in that space. So, mm. yes, and there's, there's great momentum that I think can kick in when you do just get into that mode of like, right, I'm becoming an, an action taking machine. I'm a decision making machine. I'm not um, over analyzing every conceivable little step because that just keeps you, you know, I, I think frozen and stuck a little bit. So, yeah, well, I love that attitude. Indecision, I think, is one of the biggest killers of of um businesses yeah and And it's terrible it's a terrible place to be procrastination comes out of it and mentally you just anguish like there's so much that comes out of indecision if you make a decision um things flow on from there yeah yes and also as you said you know there's if you've got an idea uh in this world i've seen that there's no shortage of ideas and I know for myself, I am an ideas generating machine. I, you know, sometimes my husband <laughs> oh will come my. home, yeah, and I'll say to him, oh, "I've had this amazing idea," and he'll go, "Oh, there's a surprise." <laughs> <laughs> but the, the the thing is, what there's a lack of in many situations is implementation because you haven't really made a decision, I don't think, until you've taken some sort of action to progress with that. And so if you've got an idea, as you said, research and test in some way, because that's when you'll get more information and you'll be able to work out whether you've you've got an idea that is worth pursuing and that you are going to have the energy to pursue because no matter how much you think you love the theory of an idea there's still going to be challenges and so you just want those challenges to be connected to something you actually care about Mm. to be more likely to push through that challenge rather than go oh this is too hard maybe I'll go and try a different idea. I think Mia Friedman said um, it doesn't have to be original and this was a big deal for me when I was doing this because I thought to myself, there's a million coaches out there. What have yep. I got to offer? She was like, it doesn't have to be original. Mm-hmm. You can create your spin and there's always somebody that's going to want what you have to offer. Yeah. So that that was the, that's probably the other tip I think is it doesn't have to be the original, oh, my gosh, it's the, you know, it's, it's a post-it note that's never been created before, if you know what I mean. Like it doesn't yep. have to be groundbreaking it it's okay that it's it's a version of something that's already out there yeah and I'm so glad you raised that because you know I have a lot of clients that they have an idea or or a passion and they want to pursue it but that question comes up so often about oh there's already so many of insert whatever it is here why does the world need another one or why would people choose me over someone that's been around longer or whatever else and the analogy that I quite often use is around how many different flavors and brands of ice cream there are Mm. (laughs) and that you know yeah okay so there are plenty of business coaches uh, out there i'm a business coach there's heaps heaps of coaches out there but each one of them has a different kind of flavor and there will be some people that will resonate with you and some who won't and that's fine and for you you're bringing your years and years of learnt and lived experience in creating and building a brand and selling a business that whilst being a mum that make you, I guess, more uniquely prepared to be able to help others who want to experience even just part of that. And so you are an original to your own degree anyway, even if the label of what your job title is sounds like it, there's one in a million uh, for you, I guess it's just accepting that for, for you and for, for everyone listening, your past experience and life has led you to where you are now and you will draw on that and bring your own unique flavour to whatever it is that your your business offering is. And so I think that's the only uniqueness that you really need to uh, be be worried about or focusing on, I think. 
Yeah, I think you're right. Absolutely. That was a big it was a big thing for me that was actually learning. Yeah. That. And it's so interesting because and I think you touched on this earlier that other people, you know, were shocked if you expressed to them that you were questioning, you know, the value that you had to offer because they'd go, uh, hang on a second, Michelle uh started created a product that never existed before through experimentation in your kitchen instead of making roast dinner um you you know tested it created packaging refined the packaging created a brand built the brand battled all these freaking lawsuits and challenges and market competition and retail pressure built up this beautiful product beautiful aspirational brand that still exists today sold a business and now are reinventing and channeling and bottling all of that goodness to be able to help more people, especially mums, to start a business. You've got so much experience. How could you even question the value that you offer? And there's the self-worth. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And this is the thing where I think it's actually really good for, for people to hear that even people who are super successful, as you are, still have those lingering internal inner critics and doubts and so that just makes you human and so recognizing that and then finding the ways to remind yourself about how fabulous you are and the worth that you do have and offer uh, is part of the journey of of uh, being a business owner I think so you know you're you're going to be awesome just keep chipping away and reminding yourself I'm awesome just ask me (laughs) <laughs> well, words have power and so do thoughts. So I'm a big believer in, in in that side of things. So yes, that's something that I have on my wall and I have lots of those things around my office and my home at the moment to remind myself. Yeah, good. And we all need those those reminders, I think. Hmm. Yeah. Michelle, thank you so much for making time um, for this interview and to share so openly and honestly about uh, your past business experience and into your first year in your new business. And I'm really excited, as I said, of seeing where you evolve and take this business to and, you know, for you to really keep stepping up into being able to help as many women as possible to start and create businesses that they love. I think that's something that you and I really have in common around that passion. Uh, And so I'm really glad to have found out more about your story and to have shared it today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a really great discussion, actually. It's it's different to um, the normal discussions that I've had. So I like it. Fantastic. It's awesome. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you. (laughs) That's it for another episode of the Transit Lounge podcast. But before you go, I just want to tell you about a great new free resource. If you are early in your business and you want to make sure that you're focusing on the right things at the right time to make sure that your business is profitable as quickly as possible, then you want to go and grab a brand new ebook that I have created, which is called the top four priority focus areas for a profitable first year in business. In this ebook, I have compiled experience and insights from my over five years in business, as well as from more than 40 interviews with successful women in business and conversations with other women in business that are in my network. And I have summarized all that experience into the top four areas that you need to focus on so you can really create a business that delivers the kind of income and lifestyle that you're looking for. You can get that ebook for free at thetransitlounge.com forward slash top four. I'll be sure to put the link to that into the show notes to make it easy for you to get. So go get it, have a read, then come and join the private Facebook group and tell me which one of the four areas do you think you would benefit from more help with. I'll look out for your comment in the group. Have a great week.